What is up everyone? I am Lachlan Samuel and this is the Open Up Podcast, the show where real people open up and share real stories of struggle. Welcome back to the Open Up Podcast, everyone, and to episode 50 with the founder of Perth Active Depression Support Group, Rahul Seth. My man, thank you. You're welcome. How are you going? I'm good. Thank you, brother. Um, thanks for doing this, hey. want to do this with uh, you for a little while um, because of the work that you're doing within mm. that, that mental health space, especially depression. So thanks mm. for taking the time. No, I really appreciate it. I've been following your progress since we met and I'm really proud to see how you're growing and what you're developing with this uh, little podcast. So anything I can do to help is just, well, I'd love to help you out. Thank you, man. Um, straight off the bat, for anyone who hasn't heard of the active depression support group that you run, yeah. um, what do you do with that? Okay, so a couple of years ago, I was battling my mental health and I was finding that my friend circle was really diminishing because I was getting towards the age where all my friends were getting engaged, married and having kids. And what I envisioned was I wanted to create a support group that was about addressing mental health. But rather than sitting down and talking about it in the group circle, which can be very draining at times, I wanted to be more proactive. So the vision that I had was to play Monopoly with a few people. The fact that you know you're doing something proactive to improve your mental health, but at the same time, you've got that support. So after discussing it with my psychologist, I created this group the next day on, on social networking site Meetup. And within the first eight days, we had 100 members. By the three-month mark, we had over 300. Just over a year, we had 1,000. And right now, we're at two years and 10 months. We're just about to tick over 2,000 members. I think we've got 1,987 when I last checked this morning. <laughs> and we run a fun range of activities, things like a monthly board games night, um, temping bowling, mini golf, meal catch-ups, coffee, just anything to do that improves your mental health and well-being and promotes social activity. Man, you're just um, you're the poster boy for community. I never intended to be like literally I was just looking for a few mates to play Monopoly and I've just been able to combine all my knowledge on entrepreneurship and social enterprise that I've learned through um, uni and all my other studies and it's just been the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my entire life it's um yeah it gets me a lot of joy and it gets me connected with a lot of people like the likes of yourselves and all our members and then all the people in the mental health sector I'm grateful you're doing what you're doing man because a lot mm. of people need it yeah um, so I guess the question I usually kick off with, yep. and I'll give you that now, it's uh, how would you describe yourself, both as a man and as a human? Okay, so I'm Swiss born, of all places, but uh, <laughs> I have an Indian family and I've grown up in Australia, so if you think about it, I'm playing all parts of the piano, I've got neutrality in one part and East and West culture in the other, so I'm playing literally the whole scenic route. So um I'm a chartered accountant by qualification. I studied a Bachelor of Commerce at UWA, and um, 
I um, now work as a um, finance project officer for a mental health charity because I um, decided to leave the accounting world behind and I became a qualified support worker by getting my cert for a mental health. But it, things have just transpired that now I'm doing an office-based role where I'm using more of my accounting skills to help with the administration of that. And I only work three days a week with my current employer and the rest of the time I'm spending just working on my social enterprise and growing it and just having a great time. Like I am living such a fantastic life at the moment. I can't tell you. That's amazing, man. And that's um, you know, that's proof in the pudding that if you follow mm. what your soul wants, that you'll eventually end up where you need to be. Yeah, all this people like Branson and Brene Brown and all that kind of stuff, you talk about passion and following your interests. Um, so true. Like if you are passionate about something, I fully encourage people to join and follow that because it really leads to self-fulfillment and happiness. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, can you give us a quick summary of your childhood or a yeah. summary of everything from childhood up until the point where you're going to share this um, first story? Yeah, so what happened was I grew up here in Perth since I was about four or five. So all my living memories have been in Perth. And when I was a little kid going through primary school, I used to get bullied a lot. And the same thing happened to high school. And because I had that Indian culture background, there was a lot of focus on doing really well in the academic world and making sure I got the best grades possible so that when I entered the workforce, I was going to be the top best accountant that I could be and climb up the corporate ladder and become a success and live a good life. Yeah. Um, I ended up topping my accounting school, um, my high school with my accounting marks, which was just something that just naturally came to me. I'm good with numbers and systems, and that's what accounting essentially is. But, um, yeah, the thing that I wish I could have done if I could go back and redo my high school and uni years in particular is to develop hobbies and interests that would enrich my life and get me connected with other people, which is something I've learned with the benefit of hindsight, yeah. but um, I don't think I've, I've made up for what I have. I've gone from one extreme where I had limited friends and networks to now having way more possible networks, friendships that I can actually physically maintain. And I've just done that by following my gut instinct on what I thought would be really interesting. That's awesome. Um, couple questions about that. What were you bullied for? Uh just various things. I was very nerdy, wasn't the most sporty person, um, just cultural differences. It was just a wider array of things. And, you know, kids and teenagers are quite immature when they're growing up. Once you become an adult, you start becoming more accepting and all that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it was something I always struggled because I was a little bit different in the fact that uh, I didn't fit in with everyone. But, Hey, the past is the past. You can't change it. I've moved on. Uh, and anyone who's come across you used to give me a hassle, I forgive them. So, yeah, awesome, it's just... Man. So, um, with that bullying, did you <laughs> find it hard to fit in socially? Yeah, I used to spend a lot of my time on my PlayStation and really isolate myself. Like, growing up, like, that was my one of my biggest forms of entertainment. And I also started following motorsport, which is still to this day one of my big passions. I love following the Formula One circuit and planning to go to Singapore this year to watch not only the Formula One, but my favorite band. And so I did a lot of things that were quite isolated rather than going out and developing those human connections, which I talk about community a hell of a lot. And you can make community on the online world. 
But the most rewarding community that you can get is one that you're in person and you're connecting with like-minded people because you can learn more of a five-minute conversation with someone yeah. than you can do spending hours on research and social media. But uh, I think that gets a little bit washed these days with everyone with their mobile phones, and I'm guilty of that myself. But I always try and connect with someone if they get in touch and can meet and learn from them. Okay. Uh, one couple other things you touched on were gut instinct and forgiveness forgiving yeah. people who bullied you yeah gut instinct how did you sort of cultivate and nurture that because most people never get to a point where they're comfortable just following their gut and doing yeah. what they feel is right um it, it's not something that's come very easy and sometimes i've been very reluctant to um follow my gut and one of the things i was always interested in um especially while I was traveling, was taking good photos. And I always used to do it with my mobile phone and used to do it with a point-and-shoot camera, which is not too bad. You can get some nice images out of that. But I found a few years ago that um, I was going through a bit of a mental health run because I felt like I wasn't doing too much, but in reality I was still doing a couple of things. And then a friend of mine I had a chat with and he convinced me to buy a camera and I bought a camera the next day after I saw him and it was just an entry level one. It wasn't anything fantastic compared to some of the more state of the art equipments. But once I picked it up and I started learning how to shoot in manual and um, get really creative, you know, those shots where you get a wide aperture so the image doesn't focus and the background's blurry or getting a fast moving car all with the whole background blurry and the car looking still um i just fell in love with it and it was something i'd known and said for years i love photography i love doing this i love doing that and i just never did it until i was prompted to and the same thing with my social enterprise i had the idea for maybe four or five years but like i never enacted on it until i realized there was a tipping point and um when I first was in hospital, uh, someone gave me a list of hobbies, and that's where I picked out tennis from, which was the first thing I did to start improving my mental health and well-being after a very severe low moment. And it was just as simple as that and just going, I think I like that. And then once you actually think you like something and you start doing it, um, then you realize how much of a passion is in. And I think you've got the same experience with starting your own podcast. Yep. You thought it was a good idea. But once you've gone in, you start learning more and you're developing the things and, yeah. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. And I think um, you touched on creativity. I think that's a massive mm. part of following that gut instinct because you're when you have this creative idea and it's, you know, it's burning in your chest, it's running through your mind, you're just off away with the theories coming up with all these different cool creative ideas. Yeah. It's easy just to follow that and to go wherever it takes you especially with yeah. photography yeah photography you can you never stop learning and there's macro photography there's night photography there's travel there's street there's black and white there's um so much you can learn and you can connect with a lot of communities online and in person about how to improve your skills as a photographer i don't think i've not learned anything new when i've gone out with an experience and it's such a diverse thing. Um, I highly recommend it as an activity if you're very creative. Um, I'm very good creative digitally, so I do a lot of graphic design and um, the like, but I'm not a person who can paint a painting if that was my thing. You've got to know what medium you like and just learn it, and you never stop learning. It's awesome, man, because I'm sure you've had 
had those times where you were in the spot that you think at the time is the perfect spot to take a photo, especially if you're into Formula One, to take a photo yes. of your favourite driver and his favourite in your favourite car, and then you think, oh shit, maybe this isn't the best spot. I'm going to go down there. That's gut instinct. And yeah. The more you follow that, the more that's going to come through. So that's pretty cool, man. I've never thought of that. So thanks. Yeah. <clears throat> still there yeah still there just waiting for you okay and so the last question before we move on to your story brother is forgiveness you said you forgive forgave all the people who um bullied you Mm. how how did you go about that because that's a hard process for a lot of people it's just the thing that you have to do there's no such thing as holding grudges and carrying all that guilt and regret. Um, you know, when we were kids and teenagers, we were quite immature. And I know I did some stupid things as a teenager and all that kind of stuff. But it's always something you do with the benefit of hindsight. Like if there's ever a conflict that you have with someone, the best thing to do is find a way to resolve it. And we're all human beings. We all want the best in each other and we all want to help. Um, it's something that really needs to um just happened a little bit more and yeah it's not something that comes easy like i used to carry grudges for a fair while but then you just realize the more you carry the grudge it actually affects you more than affects anyone else because you're the one who's focusing on the negative so there's no real easy solution on how you focus on the positive but you generally just have to push yourself in that way yeah that's hugely important man Uh, especially that that part where you say that if you are holding the grudge you're going to tend to focus on that negative and if you just keep focusing on the negative, that's all you're going to attract into your life. Yep. Okay. Um, let's move on to the story you're here to share today. You comfortable yep. walking us through that? Okay, yeah. So my mental health battles really came to fruition when I entered the workforce after graduating from university. So as I mentioned, I studied commerce at UWA And I was very work and study orientated. And like I had a 75 mark average, had an impeccable record at Coles. I was the first ever employee of the month at the Coles store I was working at and um, just had a very good reputation and was very focused in that mind because, you know, you grow up with that mindset. You study, you get a good degree, you get a good degree, you get a good job, you get a good job, you get good money, you have good money, you have a good life. So that seems like a very logical progression that people make, but it wasn't the case for me. So when I entered the workforce as an auditor, it was very high pressured, especially between July and September when you have to audit all the major companies. And towards the end of that first year, I received a formal warning at work for a few misdemeanors. And that really triggered for me that I had mental health issues and I started to go seek counselling and started to understand And I was initially diagnosed with depression. Um, It came to a point that I was having panic attacks and I wasn't doing really well. And I had no option but to resign from that job because I couldn't physically handle it. Um, I made the move into taxation and that was something a little bit more natural for me because the hours were a little bit more reasonable and I was actually more attuned to the work. But after four and a half months, I got made redundant because I was there was not enough work with the firm that employed me to keep me on board. And then this sent me um, through an eight-month stint of unemployment and I went through major highs and lows because I was doing things like attending my first wedding, travelling to the Formula One, 
volunteering. I was even at one stage working in a political party office and just doing all these variety things. But really all I wanted was an accounting job so I could get my help on stage. But when I did secure that accounting job, I went manic and a few things led me to going in the hospital and that's where I was diagnosed with bipolar. So and for anyone who doesn't know, what's uh, manic? What does manic mean? So manic is the opposite of depression. So um, like when you're happy, that's reasonable. But when you're elated and you're going through something that is like you're coming up with crazy ideas and you can't sleep and you've got racy thoughts and okay. all that kind of stuff. So the, that's the opposite end of um, bipolar. The way a psychologist explained it to me was like if you think of the bell curve, so most people have their behavior between um, the first decile, between the happiness and sadness, and they just stay between there. You imagine the day you become a married, and that's when you're a bit maybe hypermanic in that second decile. Or if you have a death of a loved one, that's when you're depressed. And then um, the third decile is when you're supermanic and or you're extremely suicidal and depressed yourself. So a person who's bipolar goes in all parts of the bell curve, and it's First, I thought it was my changing environments that caused me to have mental health issues, but now I've come to realize that's actually a genetic condition as well. So it's part issues, part genes, and it's just something I have to monitor as part of my daily health and well-being. Awesome, man. Um, what what was going through your mind when you had that diagnosis? Because I, I can assume for most people that would be scary, but in your situation... I feel like it might give you a little bit of clarity around the way you're acting. How did it feel for you? It was clarity at first, but my general view when I was first diagnosed was because I was changing my environment every week and I was doing all these variety of things. I didn't think it was the nature of me as a person rather than a more of a byproduct of the conditions. And so I really struggled with the diagnosis for probably especially the first six months, but maybe even three years after that. But now that I've had more of a chance to work with a consistent psychologist and a consistent psychiatrist, I'm starting to see my peaks and troughs and identify when I'm a little bit energetic. Like this morning I got up at four o'clock in the morning because I was just really excited. And what I did was I could see that I had that little bit of energy so to bring me back down a little bit. I went for a walk and just just doing little things like that and conditioning your environment to making sure that you d don't stretch yourself in and um, so yeah, it's taken time and years and a constant work in progress to manage both sides of the bipolar. I find personally um, coming down from mania is actually harder than getting up from depression because depression you can get people to lift you and it's soft and stuff. When you're manic, you draw a lot of people to you because you come up with ideas and you're very charismatic and you're just wanting to share that enthusiasm. So I find that can be just as more dangerous. But I'm lucky I don't go on spending binges or eating a lot of food or doing all that kind of thing, which other people who are bipolar do that. But okay. you have to be aware of both ends of the spectrum because they can be just as debilitating as each other. Man, it sounds like you've cultivated a huge amount of self-awareness. Yeah, yeah. To, it's take, to identify that within yourself is insane. It takes it's taken a lot of years, and it's still a work in progress. Like just last week, I had three brilliant days where I was just consistently meeting new people and coming up with new ideas and stuff. And by the end of that third day, I was physically wrecked because I'd only averaged like 
very little sleep in those two days, but my mind was still like that. And, um, but I'm seeing my psychiatrist in a while and we'll tinker around with things and just go from there. But yeah, it's always a constant battle. Awesome, man. Um, okay. So a couple of things I want to touch on is, yes. did you go through periods when you had to resign from that position, obviously because of your, your culture, um, yep. Asian and Indian culture, having to work hard and a lot of expectations on most kids. Yeah. Getting to the point where you finally achieve what you want to achieve and then having to resign. Yeah. Did you, was there like a loss of identity or a sense of failure in that? Well, that's the biggest thing I struggled because I put so many eggs into that one basket. And, you know, everyone talks about this concept of balanced life and having different things like your sport, your fitness, your religion, hobbies and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't have any of that. I just had this one basket that I used to define my life on, which was just my working, my career. Um, and it took me years. Once I had that, after I had that diagnosis in that first difficult six months, then I started to do the things where I was developing those circles. And the first circle that I developed was tennis after I read a list of hobbies with a OT in a hospital. And I just went, okay, that's where I did it. And I did that for six years and I met some incredible people. I had something to look forward to every Thursday night. It was improving my health. Um, after that, um, getting my chartered account qualification was still a big thing um, because, and it's a very hard qualification to get because it's full-time study on top of full-time work. So um, that was my next major goal and I've become a member and it's very nice to have the little initial CA after the end of my name. Um, um, volunteering was the next thing after that and I volunteered for Befriend which is a little social enterprise in Perth that focuses on um, fun recreational activities for social inclusion that led to me getting involved with TEDx Perth um, and that was fantastic I got to build my own accounting system with that and it's now led to me running my own social enterprise so um, it took years, but I eventually got there. And you don't see the recovery straight away, but if you keep chipping away at it, maybe four or five years down the track, you really see the fruits of your labor. And now I've got this thing where I'm a lot more diversified and just the work and career aspect, and it's fantastic. That's a very, very important point because most people, when they feel down, they want that instant recovery. And it's not like that. Yeah coming back from mental health issues mm. um, or keeping on the even keel is a daily thing and it's going to have to, you're going to have to work at it every day for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, it's something that I ha I, I've resigned to that I'll probably need to be on medication and I probably need to be checking in my thoughts and yeah, it's not something that you completely escape, but it's not like something that can hinder you. For me, it's like asthma, you know, take the puffer, do the things that you need to do. Sometimes there'll be points where it's critical to you, but it's not going to stop you from living a fulfilling life. Yeah, exactly. And I think for most people who hear that, the fact that you're going to have to work for every day for the rest of your life or just accept things the way they are and work through yeah. it, um, that can be confronting. But the best thing yeah. about that is that you literally have control over how balanced you are every day for the yep. rest of your life. Mm. That's awesome, man. A um, couple other things. How how did you 
go about seeking out a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist yeah for most people that they wouldn't be able to admit that they need that help yeah be the scariest part is thinking man i'm broken yeah um it's not easy and um it takes a bit of time and um like i've been through a number of psychologists but the one i've been with for the last two and a bit years is just absolutely perfect and like I've grown so much with her and finding that right person. So finding the initial person is very hard and making sure you can consistently go. And like I used to just go when things were really bad and that's where you feel like you need the help. But reality is with psychologists, you should, once you've found one that works for you, you should check in even when things are good because when things are good, you can make things even better. And when things are tough, then you can actually work through that. So I check in with my psychologist every month. And generally now I would say things are always usually eight and a half, nine and a half out of ten really good days. There's some days where things get a little out of hand and that's where she's there to help me. But we always work on stuff and there's always something you can work on. Um I was lucky through my psychologist that she referred me to a psychiatrist in the private system and um, you can still great great psychologists and psychiatrists in the public system, but if you have the option and you know it's something you're going to need to go down to, um, getting that help from the private system just in case when things hit the ceiling is really, really good. And um, you just have to – my rule is that if you don't feel comfortable with the initial meeting with them, you'll never feel comfortable altogether. So if you've just gone and seen one and it hasn't felt right for you, I would say jump and look for someone else. Refer to your GP who might know someone. And luckily my um, psychologist knew this great psychiatrist and it's just been a working team. And I've worked with both of them for about two and a half years now. And it's just, I can see the benefit it's given me. So That's awesome. Yeah. You know, the first person I've spoken to that said to check in with a psych or a counsellor, anyone who's supposed to help you when yeah. you're feeling good? Yeah, that's something that my psychologist works, and it's not something you think because you, you always look for that short-term thing. But like, you can do more recovery when you're in a good state of mind than when you're not. Yeah. Yeah, you're heaps less defensive. Yeah. When you're up. <laughs> um, one other thing around the story, and then we'll get onto your recovery. Yeah. Was that you struggled with the initial diagnosis of being bipolar? Was that because of the tag and how people would perceive you? No, it was, like I was saying earlier, it was more to do with the environment that I was changing. So I just felt like it was a byproduct where I was. Like I felt like if I was in a stable job as an accountant doing the nine to five type thing, then I'd be expending my energy and living a lot more thing. But I was doing different things at different times. So that probably did play a part in it. But um yeah, I felt it was that that's where I initially struggled. And then also like the early medications they put me on were very, I was very reactive to them and my body was very sensitive. So there was a bit of a struggle to that. Um, my view on medication is that it's not the solution, but it does help. Um, I know that I, if I don't take the antipsychotic medication, which is the opposite of an antidepressant, I won't sleep really well and I won't function as well as I possibly can. So I've definitely come to learn that that has a real benefit for me in terms of my management of it. Yeah. Um, there's some days I need to take a little bit more. Some days I can take a little bit less, but 
it's something that I probably need to adjust to make sure I am the most optimal me most of the time. That's awesome, man. Um, I think you need to have a real open mind when it comes to anything regarding mental health and especially medication. Because yeah. if you go to a doctor or a psych, they're more than likely going to put you on medication, but don't put that barrier up straight away. Make sure you understand what the medication's for, how yeah. it's going to help you. And if you feel like your gut's telling you to go down that route, then go down it, try it, see if it works. Yeah. If it doesn't, look for something else. Don't just disregard yeah. it entirely. My personal view and in the best way to achieve long-term mental health and recovery is through social connection. So doing the hobbies and things that you're interested in and connecting and realizing that we're all the same in the long run. So like, I think that gets underplayed a hell of a lot. It's, and I've seen that in my professional work and my personal pursuits. But um, if you can find those three or four friends that will help you out and those two or three hobbies, that's all you need. You don't need to have 10,000 things like I do all the time. But yeah. um, finding those things that you can connect with others and enrich your life, I think is really the best thing to do. Awesome, man. That's a good segue into your recovery and how you yep. manage to pull yourself back and actually get to this position where you have an awesome community of nearly 2,000 yep. people. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a wonderful little community that I created. Um, I uh, I started the community at the age of um, 29, so I was getting to the point where all my friends were getting engaged, married, having kids. And something that I just visioned for a long time was just that idea of playing Monopoly, so you know you're doing something really well. And I just talked to my psychologist one day and then within the next day I went and set it up. So it's called the Perth Active Depression Support Group and it's a very clunky name to start off with. But what I um, I didn't think about branding, I didn't think about marketing, I just wanted to get the group off its feet. So while it's got a very clunky name and I wish I could redo the branding and spend a little bit more time developing it, I only spent 12 hours between the time I talked to my psychologist in the morning I set it up the next day. So, um, But it's just been the most rewarding thing because like, I've been able to connect. It's given me career opportunities. It's given me connections. I've met people like yourself through it. Um, and it's just really given me a sense of identity and a sense of belonging. And this morning I published an article on LinkedIn about the importance of community for mental health recovery. And the way I talk about it is if you ever heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah. which is like a bit of a pyramid on what motivates a person, at the lower end you have physiological and safety needs, which is quite reasonable. You have a sense of belongingness, which is the third level need. And then the higher order needs is a sense of self-esteem and self-actualization when you feel like you've done everything. And what I feel is that most people focus on physiological and safety when it comes to mental health. They forget that sense of belonging. And that's something I've been able to demonstrate and show people in that group, the importance of belonging to various um, things. So, yeah. Cool. If anyone wants to read that, I'll put that in the show notes um, in the description on Facebook, and I'll put it in the show notes on iTunes and Android as well. So, yeah, that would be fantastic. And only I published it maybe just 10 minutes before <laughs> you <laughs> did this podcast. So it is very fresh. Nice. Awesome, man. Um, so you spoke about earlier a couple of the things that helped you come back. Your, your whole message is this power of community to mm. pull yourself out of a slump or to 
get back on an even yeah. keel, find that balance in life. Um, you spoke about tennis, photography, um, volunteering. Yeah. Can you, I guess, highlight what you got out of each of those? Yeah. So tennis was the first one that I did. And um, uh, every Thursday night they had social tennis and it was just a great way to get out and have some fun and have something to look forward to in the week. So um, tennis was always a bit of a hobby. And then the group of people that I became with, we all caught up for drinks afterwards and had the social outing. So it became a real scene of people that you look forward to and connecting with and sharing stories and talking about things like Formula One and careers and all that other stuff that interested me at the time. So tennis was a very good rock-solid start for me to get in. And they always talk about the importance of exercise for mental health, and that was the way that I achieved that. But um, volunteering was something that I was always interested in because I, I'm very much a fan of the nonprofit scene and swapping value and exchanging barter and all that kind of stuff. So volunteering is definitely something good and then I started volunteering for this um, WA social enterprise called The Friend which was about promoting social inclusion and basically you got to do anything you wanted in terms of volunteering it was about hosting events that connected other people like things like walks or coffee catch-ups it's kind of the same stuff that I'm doing with my social enterprise now like my social enterprise and The Friend are like almost quite similar yeah. Um, one's just focused on social inclusion and mine's more focused on mental health, but they overlap. So we're, we're doing very similar things. Um, TEDx Perth was fantastic to be a part of, like to see how you do a big, massive one-day scale event for 1,700 people and you do all the planning beforehand, the networking. Um, you come across people who've got different um, skills and abilities and it was so rewarding and the, on the day was just fantastic when you see all these people come up with inspiring ideas, you see these creative installations, you see the audience reaction um, and like being able to use my accounting skills to develop a, a spreadsheet where I can make it as a fully functional version of my of um, so I don't need to go buy software, I can actually just do it on an Excel spreadsheet. Um, that was quite rewarding. I have a thing for Excel spreadsheets just me being the accountant, a bit nerdy kind of thing. And it wasn't instant um, that I recognised the value of doing all those things. It was something I looked back over the course of time. So when you do pick something that you want to improve your mental health and recovery with, you might see the short-term gains for a little bit, but you don't think that they're great. But if you keep chipping away at it and doing it and developing, I would say the golden rules, maybe two or three different circles in your life, you realise in the long term you do meet a range of people. It does give you that sense of identity. It does give you that sense of belonging. And once you have that sense of belonging, you can then achieve self-esteem and self-actualization. So that's why I'm such an advocate for community because once you've got the basic physiological and safety needs done, then you can focus on getting the higher order stuff. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And I think that's um, something that they talk about with, the evolution of humans as well as yeah. um, we seek those circles, we seek being part of a pack or a tribe mm. for those safety needs. And then from yeah. there you can work on yourself. Um, the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. I mean, it takes a village to raise an adult as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> And it, it's just something I wish is just more done, but people don't want it because they want the quick solutions like medication and all that kind of stuff really it's a long-term thing um 
So I can see why it's, it's not as much investment in building community, but I feel like we're starting to understand the importance of that. And there's a lot more things that happen now that I see like various little communities coming up. Even yourself, you've created this amazing community on your podcast and it's just, yeah. And I think, I think the important thing about both of us is that we just followed that gut instinct, followed our hearts instead of trying to create a community to fit whatever identity that we identified with at the time. Yeah, you wear many hats. Like you've got to be the accountant, you've got to be the HR person, you've got to be the marketing, you've got to be the skills delivery and all that kind of stuff. It's um, it's a little bit like the Formula One driver. He's not just a driver, he's a media consultant. He's doing all that kind of stuff. The only time he actually gets to do his job is the 15 seconds when the grid um, clears and he can actually put his visor down and focus on the road. His driving might only be seven hours in a weekend, but he's doing all these multiple other tasks as part of his role and this is the same thing with anything you do with like a business you've got to wear those different hats and there's only a limited window where you're actually purely doing what you intended to do because you're doing all these other things as part of it that's an awesome way to look at it man i'm gonna ask you a couple questions and then we'll wrap up yep Um, what would you say the quality of your life is like now knowing everything that you've been through I think I've achieved everything I needed to. There's only one domain in my life which I won't go into that I feel like I need developing, but in terms of sense of purpose, sense of identity, sense of self-esteem, I feel like I am there. I feel like I am on those higher realms of Maslow's hierarchy in that I am achieving my life purpose. And I've just done that, like you said, through following your gut instinct and going and the person I was when I first entered the workforce as a, you know, um, highly interested um, graduate compared to where I am now, there's been significant growth and it's taken a lot of time. There's been a lot of ups and downs at that time. There's been some times where it's been very difficult, but I've weathered those storms and I just feel like I'm now where I need to be. Awesome, man. I'm stoked for you. You deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, apart from the psychologist, psychiatrist, and the power of community, what have you added to your life or removed from it to improve the quality of it? That's a good question. I think you basically covered it there. Like, I, I think the main thing for me is the thing I'm the biggest advocate for, and I've mentioned this numerous times now, is the importance of community. Um, yeah, I think that's the basic thing. It's just connecting with other like-minded individuals and finding those common threads and knowing that there's more to learn. And I keep meeting interesting people every day. I've still got my really close friend circle. I've got such a wide range of other people. You know, I can not catch up with you for like six or 12 months. And then it's like there's no tomorrow's past in between when I yeah. saw you because we've got those shared interests. But yeah. That's awesome, man. Uh, what are you most grateful for right now? Um, just the fact that I've got good people around me, more than I can physically count, more that really matter, and um, just knowing that I am valued. Um, and I've done that because I've connected with others, I've been raw and honest, I've done a little bit of the stuff like Brene Brown talks in about her books about vulnerability and putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. But you do take those scary few steps. It does lead. So I'm a big fan of her work. So, yeah. 
Well, one thing I have to add to that is you're valued because you've provided so much value for people. No doubt you've changed many lives, brother. So you deserve to feel valued. (laughs) Um, Last question. If you had the chance to put a message on a billboard, knowing thousands of people would see it every day, what would that message be? Join a community. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice and simple, brother. Yeah. Um, I guess to wrap up, I just want to acknowledge you for first taking the time to do this. Yeah. Um, not only for what you've been through and overcome, but for taking that and making the Perth Active Depression Support Group so you can help others, man. What you're yeah. doing is amazing and you know, hopefully we can work together in the future because you know, I'm stoked what you're doing. Yeah. yeah, I've been following your progress since we met in that time and it's just been phenomenal. And to see now that you're doing video, Uh, podcasts and making this really creative it's awesome thank you brother um i think that's it man you have a good day eh? you know worries you take care and be in touch soon catch you buddy bye